You're listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with your host, Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. 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 As a motivational speaker, Johnny D impacts audiences around the world with his message of living the outstanding life. He's a best-selling author, MC, and two-time Grammy-considered artist. This podcast is a place where Johnny D can introduce you to his outstanding friends and share funny, interesting, and heart-provoking stories. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. Here comes your host, Johnny D. Hey everybody, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, and welcome to this week's Outstanding Life Podcast. And like every single week, I bring the coolest people and have the coolest stories. This week is like no other. We have a good friend of mine in the studio with me right now, Cheyenne. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm good, Johnny. How are you? Absolutely outstanding. I appreciate you coming out to the studio and hanging out for a little while, getting away from the family. Little bit, little bit. Maybe this was your excuse. (laughs) <laughs> you know, not so much. I, I, I really have learned to, as stressful as it can be with a six-year-old and a three-year-old boy on top of the 16-year-old boy, um, as stressful as it can be, I, I really have learned to appreciate those times. But hey, nonetheless, it's great to be here with you. I love it. You're politically correct because you know your wife is going to be listening. I love it. No, Cheyenne, man, you got a brand new single out, man. And uh, man, I appreciate you letting us play it You know, here on uh, Dirt Road Radio and on the Outstanding Life podcast. Well, if you don't mind, why don't you tell everybody the name of it, and uh, and we'll play it. Hey, this is from my brothers from other mothers, Half Light <laughs> Music, and the song is called Beating Heart. Your eyes, your eyes, they put me to shame, and I'm sat here thinking, Lord, it's a miserable game Your mind, your mind The most precious of jewels When I'm old and mine is fading Would you suffer this fool?
single by Cheyenne Golf. Cheyenne, I got to ask you, man, what's the song about? It's such a cool song, man. So it's really funny. This song actually started probably being written at least a decade ago, and it had a whole other verse melody, had more of kind of like a hip-hop approach to the rhythm, and um, I just never really felt satisfied with it enough to go into the studio with it, but it always kind of banged around. It always kind of came back on the blotter one way or the other. And uh, me and my guitarist over a series of gigs, um, we play out on the east side at a bar called Three Blind Mice quite a bit, and uh, we usually try to carpool. <laughs> and uh, we, were, we were heading out the, on the east side of Detroit there and um, carpooling, and we just kind of kept going back and forth about this song in, in ways that we could improve and simplify it. And uh, it just slowly became a new thing. Um, but the the lyric, when I sat down to rewrite the verses, um, which I thought was crucial, the lyric uh, really kind of started as as just about my relationship with my boys. Honestly, um, awesome. it's it's about realizing that you fall short as a parent, um, but also kind of wanting to impart some like uh, some timeless wisdom there with the second verse. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's just I always try to write songs um, that are. Uh, I guess approachable by different angles and, and for different people and for different reasons. You know, I never yeah. really like to like lay it on like this is what that's about. But that's <laughs> what it was about for me. That is so cool. Is a song ever perfect for you, mu- mu- musicians? Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> other people's can be right. <laughs> it's just everybody I've ever talked to, they're like, it's never, it's never right. But we, we finally, just like you said, it was ten years. Yeah, yeah. In the making. Yeah. Oh, ultimately, I mean, we de- we definitely shelved it for a good <laughs> seven or eight. But how did you get your start in music, man? I mean, did you start like, did you come right out of the womb and you had a guitar in your hand? No, I I, I always enjoyed music. Like I always, um, my my mom was very musical. Uh, my dad was very musical. Um. My dad thumbed around on the guitar a little bit. Um, my mom and her sister sang in um, uh, gospel groups. You know, my uh, my grandfather was an independent Baptist minister, so really? I grew up. So that's where your soul comes from. Well, a little bit of that. I definitely learned how to sing parts growing up in a <laughs> church that uh, um, <laughs> didn't allow drums. So <laughs> you had to uh, you had to really focus on the singing, right? Because that was the one thing you were allowed to do. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always sang. Um, I think I got serious about it when I was about 14 or 15 and um, realized that I wasn't going to be a Major League Baseball player. <laughs> and that was uh, kind of just took over as my passion in life. And things really started moving rather quickly after that. So why the guitar for you? Uh, I always want to play the guitar, right? The guitar is super cool and, you know, <laughs> guitar players always look cool. Um, but I'm a hack guitarist at best, you know, <laughs> rhythm at, at best. But uh, I remember when I first told my parents I wanted to learn how to play the guitar, 
my mom made me take piano lessons first. Okay. She was like, well, you should learn the piano first because that's kind of like the foundation. It's technically a percussive instrument. And then you should learn the other instruments too. And yeah, yeah. you know, I was just like, whatever, if that's what I got to do. <laughs> I took about four lessons. My aunt was actually a piano instructor at the time. I took about four lessons and I just didn't. I just didn't commit to it really at all. Now I regret it. I yeah, really, right. really do. You know, because later on when I picked it back up, it was more so just like I forced myself to learn it. I remember sitting on the foot of my bed as like a sophomore in high school, listening for root notes and learning like, okay, that sounds like this chord. Yeah. That's probably this. And, you know, I would get corrected along the way by people that really knew how to play. <laughs> but that was how I learned. So who bought you your first guitar? Was it you? Was it mom or dad? Was it your grandparents? Who was it that, that brought home that first guitar? Well, my very first guitar was a hundred dollar special that we bought back then that was a lot of money at buddy. the Gibraltar Trade Center. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> the action was probably a good inch yeah, off the fretboard. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so bad. Yes. Yeah. So bad. Like your pick would get stuck just trying to strum a chord. Um that was my first ever guitar. And then I saved up um I think I was doing like roofing and landscaping over the next summer and I bought my first electric guitar which I still have actually which is a Tex-Mex Tele that I bought from Scanland Music another yes. uh, another <laughs> classic these, name yeah. oh yeah that is so cool so who like influenced you musically uh so I definitely definitely was influenced by grunge I mean I just okay. was a kid in the um mid 90s you know uh, uh and uh I mean, those those groups really kind of blew up the music scene. And yeah. um, as much as I was listening to them, I also listened to a lot of hip-hop just where I grew up. <laughs> so, I mean, you also had the onset of, like, gangster rap and a lot of these artists that, that became just icons over the, in the next few decades um, really emerging at that time. It might be the last kind of really great era for, for music. Of course, yeah. I'm biased. But, <laughs> um, you know, some of my earliest... Uh, influences um were probably groups like Alice in Chains um I really really got into the uh to the Britpop scene when that came around okay. so groups like Oasis The Verve yeah. a little later on Coldplay you know yeah 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 um but then at the same time my mom was very much like southern fried California rock so like the Eagles Fleetwood Mac yeah okay. and then my dad was like Dan Fogelberg, Jim Croce. <laughs> so I just had a lot of eclectic stuff. Yeah. Then I had an older brother who was eight years older than me. So he was all about like New Wave, like The Cure, Depeche Mode. Yeah, so I yeah. had all of these things just kind of descending on me and I soaked it all up. So I know you from the Detroit area. Yeah. Were you born and raised here? Well, um, probably for the most part, I could say yes. But my earliest memories, we lived on... Uh, uh, Indian Reservation in the Upper Peninsula. Okay. Uh, just outside of um, Hessel, Michigan. Okay. And uh, my dad was a tribal officer up there. And uh, I just remember lots of snow. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, right. You know, those are, like I said, those are some of my earliest memories. But we moved up slowly making our way through the metro Detroit area into the Down River area um, through my early adolescence into uh into teenhood, who settled in in um, Taylor, Michigan, and that's where I went to high school. But uh, yeah, from 
the age of like nine until the age of like 13, we did pretty much live in the city or just outside of it in Lincoln Park. So, you know, yeah. I consider myself a Detroit boy. Grew yeah. up going to Tiger Games and all that good stuff. So, so you've been playing a long time then. Yeah. I have to ask you, do you have pre-show rituals? I mean, you have played all over the place. You've played big arenas. You've played small bars. You play, you know, in basements. You've done it all over the years. Yeah. Do you have you know, uh, rituals before you kind of, uh, you know, gig. Um, you know, what's funny is like the working man's musician, sometimes your ritual is setting up your gear, <laughs> right? <laughs> and just being real about it. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, make sure I stretch before I lug this speaker up right. onto the stand. But I mean, I usually will try to get a little bit of singing in or just some vocal stretching kind of a thing. Um, otherwise I don't really get too, uh, I, I don't know, like, you know, just really worried about it because if I get in my own head, that will yeah. affect me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, over the years, uh, for bigger shows, definitely I'm trying to do like my vocal exercises and, you know, some toe touches, maybe now, some Now for the people jacks. listening that don't know, <laughs> what do you guys really do? Well, like I do do that la 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 la. Uh, well, you know, I will. I we will try to follow the scales. So okay. I'll try to like start and then move up, and we'll go up as much as we can. Sometimes yeah. I will get uh, Marty, my guitarist, to to join in with me. <laughs> I was a lot more disciplined as a younger singer. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. Um, you know, but I mean, it also the the gigs are kind of dictated too. So like, if I'm gonna play. You know, like if I'm playing at like Greek Town Casino and I know that I'm playing like for four hours ultimately, right? right? Might not be singing that entire time. Right. I'm definitely right. gonna take advantage of some <laughs> instrumental breaks right there. Out. But but I, I I'm gonna warm into it as I go. Okay. So then it just becomes about song selection as the right. night goes on, right? Like I'm not gonna start with a song that's at the top of my range in a high um, tempo because that's going to gas me real quick, right. which will affect me later on. So I usually am really kind of easing in. And, uh, you know, again, it just kind of depends on, on the gig. If it's a gig where the expectation is you're, you're, you're bringing all killer, no filler for like 40 minutes, right? Right. I'm going to get those vocal exercises in. I'm right. going to get those jumping jacks in and try to open up my diaphragm. Yeah. So I'm not out there, you know, blowing a tire early on. Cheyenne, I, I can't wait. I, I can't, you know, leave everybody hanging any longer. This is great that, that we got to know you as a young man growing up in the music business. Sure. But right out of high school, dude, you're in a band and your song is in a movie. Yeah. I mean, when you look it up, I mean, it is the first six pages of Google. Yeah. Tell everybody about that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we were very, very blessed and very fortunate. Um, I definitely will say that. But we also worked our little fannies off. There's no doubt about it. We uh, um, were 15, 16-year-old kids, and we wrote a bunch of songs, uh, like a bunch of songs. I remember having Cheyenne, so many songs, we couldn't even title them. They were numbers. Cheyenne, I, I mean, when you when you said that, I'm just, my mind is blown, right? Because you just start playing at 13, 14 years yeah. old. Yeah. And literally three years later, yeah, you're like... What, it was, I mean, some of it was competitive. I ain't going to lie. I mean, me and um, the other fella, Aaron, who who were the main writers in our first group, List 66, we, uh, you know, it was somewhat competitive. Like, he wrote a song. Okay, I'm going to come with a song, right? <laughs> oh, that song's cool. I'm going to come with a better song. Yeah. And by the time it was all said and done, we literally sifted through, I think it was four dozen songs um, with Glenn Ballard, who had gotten a hold of our music from an entertainment lawyer 
who had heard of our stuff because um, we started recording these songs very early on in the game and being very serious about it, using some major studios around the city. Mm-hmm. And then we were trying to go straight to radio with it. Well, one of the radio stations at the time, they're not defunct, but 105.1 The Edge, they got one of the songs, started playing it, passed it on to an entertainment lawyer who ultimately got it in the hands of Glenn Ballard, who's like, you know, I mean, that's music royalty. Glenn Ballard did. Right. I mean, uh, he co-wrote Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson for crying <laughs> right. out loud. So ultimately, we met with him. We whittled the, the song down to about 13 songs, which ended up becoming 11. But the the Titan A.E. soundtrack song, that that was like almost didn't happen. So originally, we were pitched the opportunity to to try to write something for this. Well, I think we sent him like treatments for like three songs and he was like nah <laughs> were you out of high real. school yet uh this was literally my senior year in high school no kidding dude no kidding. that is so cool yeah ahead, so. keep, keep talking so this yeah this was this was senior year in high school and um the uh the thing didn't happen but he still wanted to sign us to his imprint label which was through Capitol records at the time so it was like we were disappointed but we were like hey we're still gonna make a record with glenn ballard you know whatever so um, later on, when we finally went out there to make our record, which would have been like the following summer. So we signed a deal, I think, in like September, the year I graduated, in like June. <laughs> and then we didn't <laughs> – I remember this because I had to get a midnight bake job at Tim Hortons. We, <laughs> we signed a record contract. We didn't get paid until like December. You know, <laughs> The lawyers had to take their cut and work out everything else. And anyway, by the time we got out there to record the record – that. Out where? Where's out where? L.A. No kidding. So you yep. went from Michigan to L.A. as oh, yeah. a high schooler. Luckily enough, in the middle of January is when we got to leave too. Wow. Praise God. That's awesome. <laughs> so we didn't have to experience the, you know, the droll days of, of the end of winter in Michigan. Yeah. But no, we were out there recording our album. And Glenn was like, hey, I, uh, I don't feel like we've got the song yet for this record and he um essentially invited me to kind of do a little co-write session with him where we came up with what became not quite paradise and uh what's funny is i really didn't care for the song at the time but since it's become probably the most popular (laughs) bliss 66 songs and there's like all sorts of funny youtube videos like where people do like you know graduating classes or drum covers to it and i just get a real kick out of it because you know i just remember sitting around in a hotel lobby working on something with, you know, my keyboardist that later became a song with, uh, you know, multi uh, award winning producer Glenn Ballard. What was that like for you when the movie came out and, and you got the phone call like, hey, the movie's out and you went and watched it? We were still I mean, there. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps. We were still there. We got to go to one of the premieres, actually. So we were still there. It was a pretty cool thing. Um, it didn't come out with as much fanfare as they wanted. I remember there was a little bit of disappointment around how it was um, uh, essentially released originally. But the uh, the movie has since become like a staple on like a lot of like freeform or uh, – HBO family and stuff like yeah. that. Cause it's like, it's an animated movie, but it's like PG. So it's got a little bit of edge to yeah, it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just grown and grown in popularity, but it all happened so quick. Like literally they were doing like the finishing touches on the editing for the animation and the record. And Glenn was like, we're doing this song. We did it all in three days. No kidding. We did it, tracked it. And, and then within probably a month, because we were only out there for, I think, a little over two months, maybe three months total, 
through the recording of our album, the the movie came out. So we got to go to one of the premieres and see it, which was really cool. So listen, we're in the studio right now. You have a guitar sitting right there. And it, I, I'm just wondering, can you play a piece of that song legally? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Can. Can, can you go ahead and play it for us? Oh, goodness. <laughs> this one. I know that this was not in the notes or anything else, not. but you know what? Why not? So it's like, take the path that leads resistance to the great unknown. No directory assistance. Now you're on your own. But if you're looking for the answer, it's right before your eyes. Because it's not. Looks like home, not quite heavy dice. We can rent to all, it'll be alright, though it's not quite heavy dice. I'm sure there are some bad chords in there because you put me on the spot, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hear about it later. <laughs> Cheyenne, that was awesome, man. Thank you so much. I, I, got, I got to say, though, man, what was that song? Just real quick, what was that song all about? So I only really wrote the bridge of that song. We worked out the lyrics for the chorus, but he, Glenn I'm talking about now, really was trying to write a song that kind of like tied the whole story together. Yeah. So so if you watch the movie, you know, it's it's essentially um, Earth is destroyed, so they're looking for a new inhabitable planet, and, you know, they finally find one. And, yeah. like, it's like a horizon scene, and, and as the... Uh, as the credits start to roll, you know, that song starts to play. So big major key and like there's a lot of vocals. Oh, yeah. All yeah. this stuff going on. So it was literally kind of just written for that. And and honestly, one so of the first cool. times that I had been a part of like writing like for a theme, like specifically, you yeah. know. Um, so it was a cool exercise. But the uh, the bridge came together because melodically it was something that – um. I had messed with with our keyboard player Jordan at the time and in some just different things that that we would do together like doodling like a lot of it actually started from vocal exercises as a matter of fact really um just learning different ways that you could harmonize you know cuz he was a very very musical cat it's so crazy though that you can sit there and think that something is not that great right as a musician singer songwriter whatever and that song that you may not think is the greatest song could end up being in a movie oh seriously like you never know right no i know yeah it's, it's kind of <laughs> crazy well hey man since you have your guitar in your hand and we are in the studio can you play the song find my way yeah yeah let's do it Nothing comes too easy Learned that well when I was young Never cried for more than what I've had to please me 
Mama and Daddy didn't leave me none. Yeah. This is not meant for your pity. I'm not reaching for my gun. I'm not lost. I'm merely looking for my place underneath the setting sun. When I find my way, if you would like to come along, it could be too. Living on the road, and when I end my day, I send a prayer before the world, saying, "Don't forget your bastard son." Between us, many nights out on the run. Another day, another dollar for my pain. Underneath the setting sun, if I find my. Dude, you're amazing. I love watching you. I've seen you play in church. I've watched you play at festivals. I got to ask you, when you and the band were, you know, the big song came out, you're you're a band. Did you guys start touring as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, we actually, that was kind of the, the way that we cut our teeth because we definitely didn't do it like locally or conventionally yeah um i remember really the the album was uh, in industry terms shelved <laughs> so the album was shelved for about a year so that's what we had to do and at the time we really we weren't really touring on anything other than the fact that we were a major label band until the record came out so i remember there was a, a little bit of a gap 
Um, like we did, we did some stuff um, around college towns were probably our first big shows. Like we did a lot of big East Lansing shows and we got on some radio shows. This is while I was still in high school. Yeah. Yeah. And then we went out and we did the record and then we really didn't play much at all for about a year and a half live. It was all like recording. We're doing demos. Uh, and then we started playing again, semi-locally. We did some Detroit shows. We did some Toledo stuff. Um, but like, Right when the record came out, um, we were trying to strike while the iron was hot. So yeah. at that point in time, though, like the the soundtrack song was, you know, a year old. So there was right. no like <laughs> we 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 the the album ended up being released by another label too. So we got released from from Capitol, and then Epic picked us up. So that's how the album came out. And then we were uh, we were touring pretty steadily for the better part of two years right after that record. What was your favorite part about touring? Um, I mean, looking back on it now, the stuff that seemed like a drag because, you know, like uh, just being real about it, when you're 18 and you're like doing something that, you know, it's people just, dream of people dream of. Yeah. There's there's a part of you that that unfortunately takes a little bit of it for granted, you know. So I wanted in some ways like you know, to get to that next level, to have like the tour bus and stuff, because we never got to that level. We were 15 passenger, you know, Ford Econoline pulling the 15 foot trailer. And like, you that guys was were just, humping it, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, but, but now looking back, that's what I love about yeah. it. Like, we all had our bench seat. We did stupid crap, like, you know, the various truck stops and random motels we stayed at. I remember we were at some truck stop, and I swear this was like Iowa. And randomly, it had like a goalpost in the middle of the parking lot. So we're filling up two liters with water and trying to kick field goals at like 3 a.m. You know what I mean? Like just stuff like that that sticks with you. Yeah. So let me ask you this, man, because you're like not even 18 or maybe you're just 18, right? Yeah. Did you have to have like somebody with you to make sure that you guys were okay? Because you're kids. Well, Aaron, our, our rhythm guitar player, the other main songwriter in the group, did have some years on us. Not not a whole lot, but he was probably three or four years older than the rest okay, of us. Okay, so he was legal. So he was of age, but <laughs> we did have um, uh, a traveling, even in the early days, we did have a sound man that came with us that was an older gentleman. Uh, and then our guitar player, Robbie, his dad also came out on the road. He was like a traveling insurance adjuster, so he kept weird hours anyway. And a lot of times he would show up at random gigs, and, yeah. and that was that was cool because he always spoiled us. So that is so cool, man. If you if if I could say right now, Cheyenne, I could I could make a phone call and put you in touch with anybody right now that you could go do a gig gig with. Mm -hmm. Who would it be? Who would you love? To have a gig gig with oh, man that's a that's a great question you know i mean like i have i have artists that have really really spoken to me throughout the years i mean probably my most influential artist is richard ashcroft from the verve i mean a lot of people know the verve from like bittersweet symphony and yeah that's a great song and and i mean he's finally getting his due from it you know too mm -hmm. like uh keith richards and, and mick jagger signing off on what was a, a ridiculous kind of publishing claim but i mean his his depth of songwriting definitely extends beyond that tune but i mean it would be a dream to play for him i mean some of the other artists that have you know grown up just really idolizing and and, and just being a big fan of well, one of the coolest um gigs that i've played was with um maybe not even necessarily like 
a top five, but he it's top five in terms of like I was a big fan of the group and I got to play with them on a couple different occasions would be uh, Ed Kowalczyk from Live. Like uh, that was cool. That was really cool on, on his acoustic tour. And I've gotten to share the stage with some big acts. Um, with Paper Street Saints, we played with um, Bon Jovi. Uh, Brett Michaels. Uh, Brett Michaels I did. Uh, I opened for Solo. Um, Ario Speedwagon. Ario Speedwagon. Uh, with with uh, again with uh, Paper Street, um, probably two of the biggest shows I played because I got to play kind of the two pinnacle venues for a kid that grew up in Detroit. Even though it sounded like crap, I got to play the Palace. Oh, nice! That was that was, yeah. in, that was opening for Bon Jovi, and then um, we also played DTE, uh, which is of course Pine Knob again. Yeah, now, yeah, right? yeah. So just when you get used to calling it DTE, they're back to <laughs> right. calling it Pine Knob. <laughs> Well, when we played it, it was DTE, so we were in the uncool days. But we opened for Ted Nugent, right? Oh, so, nice. I'm not the All biggest right. Nuge fan, but it was still awesome yeah, to play Ted, Ted a hometown Nugent, Ted Nugent yeah. show at DTE. So Dude, that wow. was pretty cool. So when you were in L.A., do you have any funny stories about running into celebrities or anything like that? Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a few. So there's... <laughs> There's the one that like I, I don't know and I, I I almost feel like I've got to act it out so that's not not good for the podcast. No, but, uh, you can act it out, please. Well, the fun, <laughs> one of the earliest, my literally, I think this was my first time in LA. So this is both just cool and it's also got just some weird like the random things that happen in LA ness to it. So. Uh, we got flown to L.A. When I say we, I'm talking about me, uh, Aaron Chasso, the um, other main guitar writer, uh, or the other guitarist in Bliss, other main songwriter in Bliss, essentially to be schmoozed a little bit yeah. by, by Glenn um, before we signed our record deal. And when he flew us out there, it was only like a three-day stay, um, but we got put up in like a sweet apartment. You know, <laughs> we got taken out to dinner every night. And like the evening of the second night, we got taken to see um, Chris Cornell on his first solo tour. So it was like a smaller theater too, like, uh, you know, maybe a couple of thousand people. But we got to hang out with Chris Cornell after. So, like, that was amazing. I mean, like, like still, like, I mean, that guy's voice, just the way he used it like an instrument, just mm -hmm. one of the best singers ever, in my <laughs> opinion. But hanging out with him was really, really cool. But randomly another guy's there who's like i'm just sitting sitting there like a, a quiet i was i was 17 at this time i'm, I'm sitting there as a quiet 17 year old like you know like this guy's really kind of obnoxious like he keeps like shouldering his way into conversations and <laughs> um like chris cornell that's one thing about him just very humble very chill very soft-spoken as was glenn so we were there with glenn so yeah. it was like you know, a couple of really humble but super successful musician types, us who were like just giddy and, you know, probably just extra hot under the collar while being wet behind the ear at the right. same time. <laughs> and then this other dude who I'm like, why is this? Like, who is this? And I finally, it dawns on me because he just had like a little beard going on. I'm like, that's the dude from 90210. <laughs> So it was Jason Priestley no from kidding. 90210, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. The funny thing about it was on the back end of that, like the next morning I'm watching a news report. That dude had gotten in an accident that night. 
wrecked his car, said he was fleeing some deer or something. It was like a whole story. It was like a national story. I and I that. was there. I remember that because you know what I'm talking yes, about? Because he got a DUI for Yes. It. Yes. Because yes. he was that. into some form of racing or something yeah. too, I think, for a while, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I was there that <laughs> night. I saw that man imbibe himself way too much. So that's probably one of my coolest like yeah. LA stories. The other one that comes to mind was uh we stayed in the Oakwood apartments, which were literally like walking distance from the Hollywood Hill. Okay. Um, it was kind of a – in town, so to speak, it was kind of like, I guess, just a, a semi-legendary apartment, at least for people that were like – didn't live in L.A. but were there making a record or they were making movies. So there were a lot of people that kind of came and go yeah. through that. Um, but the one time I was out and, you know, sometimes even though – we all loved each other. We needed a little time apart from our brothers, right? So in LA, we were all set up two, 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 and uh, I think I was like stuck upstairs uh, while Aaron was writing a song, and I just <laughs> didn't care for what was going on. So I'm like, you know what, man? I'm I'm stepping on. I'm gonna go downstairs and 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 read. And uh, at the time, and even still, uh, I'm a huge theology buff. I love scripture. I love reading. Um, you know, deep theosophy philosophy and uh you know just things related to religion and that's uh involvement in the world but i think i was just reading my bible at the bottom of the steps it's like a three flight thing there were three levels of apartments and uh this guy i just kind of noticed him peripherally this older gentleman is walking up um carrying a bunch of grocery bags you know like ralph's or whatever the the la uh, grocery store is and uh I, I take note of them, but, like, I'm still reading and, like, I didn't want to be whatever. So I just kind of move over and I'm like, hey, you, are you going up? And he looks at me and he looks down at my Bible. And dude must have thought I was getting, like, prophetic or something on <laughs> right. him, you know, or, like, or like trying to proselytize him, you know. <laughs> so he just kind of looks at me and goes, boy, I sure hope so. And I look closer and it's uh, Brian Dennehy. Really? Yeah. Holy Tommy Boy's dad. Yeah. So I was like, oh, man. I was like, no, oh. no, I didn't mean it like that. I just meant, like, are you going upstairs? He was like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you so, going up? <laughs> I mean, there are so many, like, funny things like that. But yeah. uh, it was uh, it was definitely a really, really cool experience. I mean, you just see, you know, random, like, famous people out and about because, you know, I mean, just so many people live there. Like, yeah. uh, that, was, that was probably the thing that took a little bit of getting used to. I remember uh, Daisy Fuentes, actually. Um, walked in on me one time like <laughs> yeah explain this one because the way you just set that up that yeah. was kind of weird so we were at <laughs> we were at Conway Studios and uh, we were recording the last couple of tunes for our um, first release and uh, it was like literally finishing touches stuff and at the time Brian Setzer Orchestra was there as well and I think the guitar players from Brian Setzer Orchestra was dating Daisy Fuentes and, like, she walked in on me, like, just in total bum mode, like, just smashing Oreos and watching junk TV laid out on this couch. <laughs> that was supposed to be our lounge. Well, she had gotten mixed up. And she walked in. I was like, if there's any state with which you don't want to be discovered by, like, you know, one of the, the – I think she was in, like, people's top 100 beautiful people of that year yeah. or whatever. So. Just like stuff like that that just happened just randomly was just so funny. And you, you again, you took it for granted at the time. But now looking back, it's like, man, that was cool. Yeah. What's it like for you now to to get off stage and people walk up to you and say, man, that was amazing. And, and you know, kids wanting to be you. 
What, what, what is that like for you? Uh, it's certainly humbling. And, and you know, um, I, I think because of the fact that essentially I got started performing in the church, mm-hmm. I was always taught, and thankfully so, to keep kind of the pride in check, you know? Um, so, like, I am thankful to my creator to be able to do what I do. And it's, to me, it's a, it's an act of, of essentially praise and giving back every time I'm able to do it. And I know for some people, you know, that, that will hear my music and not necessarily always equate it with, 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 um, you know, my, my Christianity or my spirituality, it's nonetheless still me giving back that, which I was given. So, I, I always just try to stay humble about it. I mean, it's funny because my son is like 16, my my older boy is 16, and the kid already reads music and he plays by ear. So I'm like, dude, you're already like a leg up on your old man. <laughs> but like he just, you know, doesn't necessarily feel like compelled to do it yet. And that gets hard sometimes because I like I want to, you know, you want, really want to direct your kid yeah. or push him here or, or push him there. But um, I know that with him – it's a deep-seated humility and yeah. in, in really learning how to balance like having that confidence um, and being able to to give your best while still, you know, not letting your, your head get in the clouds. Um, that's been something I've had to learn over time. I d- listen, I, I can say that now, but as an 18, 19-year-old <laughs> kid, a lot of people that knew me back then are going to tell you that I was full of myself and probably rightfully so. Yeah, Cheyenne, what advice could you give to the kids out there listening as well is what advice could you give their parents? Because so many kids, you know, I mean, we just had Christmas, man. And, you know, people got guitars oh, yeah. and, 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 you know, and they want to be rock stars, right? Yeah. You lived it. Yeah. You are living it right now. What advice could you give these kids? But then also it's important, I think, to give the parents advice because now you are a parent yeah. of a 16 year old that's playing piano and stuff like that. When you're in a band with five guys, essentially that still lived at home, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you got to, to see the different reactions of yeah. parents to what was happening. I mean, uh, you know, a couple of the guys were a year younger than me. So they literally had to have their parents sign the original record contract because they weren't even yet 18. So, being kind of through all of that, I, I was able to see all the different ways that it was handled. I know my my mom, essentially, because I did really good in school, she basically told me that, like, she wasn't going to let me live at home if I wasn't going to go to college. And then wow. it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't until, like, right around the time where, like, the semester was starting up, it was like, hey, ma, we're signing a record deal <laughs> kind of a thing, you know? So, I mean, she definitely was supportive. She didn't hold me back. Um, but, but she was hesitant. Um, then, you know, I already talked a little bit about, um, Robbie's dad, big Rob. He was like, like over the moon supportive. Like the man opened up his, his garage to us for years to rehearsal later on. And, and, uh, you know, even, even supported us financially when necessary. Um, so I, I think that there's wisdom in both of those approaches. 
You know, okay. um, I think that uh, you really do want to support your children. And music is a passion thing. Absolutely. That's, that is for sure. Um, you can have somebody that's very skilled but doesn't have the passion, and that can be a waste. Or you can have somebody that's got all the passion in the world, um, maybe that doesn't have the skill. And then maybe you've got somebody that's kind of stuck in the middle. You know what's, what I'm saying? What's one piece of advice you could give the kids out there right now that want to do and be you? Stick to it. Yeah. Stick to it. Yeah. You know, it's it's not always good. It's it's going to be a thankless gig. It's a yeah. hurry up and wait game. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're not all they're not always 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 for sure. Stadium, you know, people stadiums do it for the love. Yeah. Remember what got you into it and stick to it. Yeah. You know, it's definitely something that gives back. Hey, man, if you don't mind, will you play the song Overflow? Sure. Yes, sir. It's me, I won't ever find my place And I can't see you would dare to show your face But I will receive your mercy and your grace Cause now I can see all the emptiness erased all I know is your love came rushing, raging till I overflow. Your forgiveness chases after me wherever I go. I'm forever casting wonder. Stuck in the half-life Feel the darkness creeping in Here comes the morning With the sunlight breaking through This is the dawning Of your mercies made brand new And all I know Raging till I overflow Your forgiveness chases after me wherever I go I'm forever casting wonder why You fill me up again Made brand new 
amazing man you know with all of your success let me ask you was there ever a time that you felt like you wanted to give up because i know that the music business is full of highs and lows and i'm sure you've had just as many lows as you have oh, yeah. highs. oh yeah was there ever a time when you decided to do this that you wanted to quit Undoubtedly. I mean, I think that uh, that first kind of the thing that happened with us was just, you know, we were on that music industry bubble when it burst in the yeah. early 2000s. And, uh, you know, Kazaa, LimeWire, Napster, all of those things started happening and labels started losing money hand over fist. And, uh, you know, we were on the chopping block pretty early on. So with with that kind of way that that went down, um, most of the guys in the group stepped away at least for a little bit of time. And, uh, I definitely started questioning a lot, you know, going from thinking like, Oh man, this is sweet. I'm 18. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Like to being like, Oh, Hey mom, is it cool? Can I get my room back? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, just, just being real about it. So like that, uh, that on top of just the normal things that human beings go through between the ages of like 18 and 30. Yeah. There were undoubtedly times where I just felt like, man, maybe I should just pack it in and go do this. And and thank God I didn't. So let me ask you this, you know, is I know that you gig all the time, sometimes multiple times a week, but is music all you do or do you have a real job? No, I have a real job. So that's kind of a, another <laughs> funny story is uh, um, <laughs> this would have been, uh, probably like maybe 2005 or 2006, uh, I needed to get a job because uh, the tax man came calling <laughs> for that that first chunk of there. money I made. Because like I said, we didn't get paid till December. And I was like, hey, I just don't think I'm going to claim necessarily what have you. But uh, anyway, um, I needed a job. I needed to, to show that I was making income. And I started working um, with a friend of mine who was a manager at Forever 21. Believe it or not, I was a stock man at Forever 21. Uh, back then, I had to, I remember the day the shifts were like seven to three, but I only worked like three or four days a week. But um, I did that for a little while, and then I uh, started working at another company called The Buckle oh, yeah. in retail. And um, that's actually when I first started retail management was with that company. And I, I learned a lot with that company, a great you know homegrown company. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that uh, can't came full circle. I, I've been back at Forever 21 for the last, oh, 10 years at this wow. point in time. Yeah. So you're not only following a passion, you got a real job too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I hold it down for 40 plus a, a week. <laughs> What's it like for you as a musician to get up there with your guitar, just like you just did for us, and the crowd is singing along with you? 
I mean, that's awesome. You know, that's definitely a, a great feeling. There's no doubt about it. Uh, those those moments for an original artist need to be savored. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were there were times where, um, you know, our, our single would have been big in a specific market, and we were actually surprised by the crowd participation because yeah. we had gotten so used to being just like the baby band or the opening <laughs> band or whatever, and like, hey, you know, your song got spun a few times here, but like when people really knew it, Oh man, it's in, it's incredible, you know. Yeah, hey, with just a couple minutes left, how can people follow you on social media? How can they find you? How can they reach out to you, man? So, um, Half Light Music is the name of the current project. Um, we are pretty active on um, Spotify because we've been releasing new tracks regularly throughout the year. Um, but we'll be there. We'll be on YouTube. Anywhere you get music, uh, iTunes, Apple Music, Half Light Music. Um, also on SoundCloud, you can look up Cheyenne Goff or Half. Half-Light Music there, and you can find me on Facebook posting about most of my gigs around town. Cheyenne, I can't thank you enough, man. Absolutely. You are amazing. Thank you so much for hanging out today Appreciate with us. Appreciate you, Johnny. Everybody, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, telling you, be safe, have fun, and have yourself an outstanding day. We'll see you next time right here on the Outstanding Life Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast. Follow Johnny D on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Motivational Cowboy. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, advertise, or would like to make a donation, please visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And remember to have an outstanding day. Hey, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Are you planning a conference, convention, meeting, assembly, or any live event that needs a guest speaker? I would love to be a part of it. For more information, visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And don't forget to check out my Outstanding Life podcast every Sunday here on Dirt Road Radio, KYDT 103.1 FM and KBFS 1450 AM. Have an outstanding day. Cheyenne, that was awesome, man. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. For but, sure. You know, with, uh, with only 50 minutes, it's really tough, but... Did you have one more in you? Yeah, I can probably crank one off. Yeah? I <laughs> got gotcha. What's I'll it called? Make call? sure I'm in tune here. That's crucial. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I've been playing, uh, trying to play songs that have a little bit more up-tempo to it. I, I, I'm a sucker for that mid-tempo or slow-tempo moody ballad, but uh, I'm going to give you a song I wrote. long time ago called Hey Little Girl. Hey little girl Where you going to Don't you know it's cold outside? Hey, little girl, what you crying for? Maybe all you need is what you will find. But it's a long and lonely afterglow. 
And there's a hood inside you never show When all them beggars come to steal your love away Hey little girl, what you hiding from? Maybe you should come and pay you come and talk for a while But it's a long, lonely afterglow And there's a hood inside you never show When all them beggars come to steal your love away Well, it's a long, lonely afterglow And there's a hood inside you never show Said it's a long, lonely afterglow That little girl inside you dare to show Still all them devils come to steal your love away Don't you know it's cold outside? That was awesome, man. That was awesome. I cannot wait for this podcast to come out. <laughs> cool. That Thanks one, again, man. I appreciate felt, it. That one actually probably felt the best of the three I played. Hey, so where did I'm glad what, you had me do it? What was that one written about? Uh, I, I have to ask. Just having a yeah, daughter. Yeah, no, my, no, no. That's having a daughter myself. I kind of. Uh, I almost had to almost stop listening because I got a little teary eyed. So another uh, another funny story is that that song started. That might have been one of the first songs I ever started writing, and it was about a girl in my youth group that I felt like was uh, was was trying too hard to shed the good girl image. Yeah. So that's how it started. That's awesome, man. man you know, you're amazing. Thank, Thank you again, you. man. I appreciate you. Thank you.